The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and carried them all away. So will it be also at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be out in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. Be sure of this. If the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. So, too, you also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect the Son of Man will come. The Gospel of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you know the time. It is the hour now for you to awake from sleep, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is advanced. The day is at hand. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. The first time someone asked me to do that, it was probably not until I was in college or afterwards. And it honestly caught me a little bit off guard. Usually people ask, where are you from? What do you do? This request to tell the story is so much more rich. If someone were to ask you right now to tell your story, would you be able to tell your story? Why you are here, where you have come from, and where, God willing, you plan to go. What's your story? Let's try this one on for size. So suppose someone were to come up to you and hand you the Bible. And they were to say, you know, I've never even seen this book before. I have no idea what happens in it. Can you like just tell me the story that the Bible tells? That would be very intimidating for most all of us. Where do you even begin to summarize the book of books? A book full of a lot of other books. How do you even begin to tell the story? It's for this reason that Archbishop Nauman has asked all of us priests in this diocese to preach the essence of the good news, the kerygma, the original proclamation of the gospel. Because for a lot of us, I don't know about you, it's easy to come into Mass on a Sunday And it's like you got plopped into chapter 17 of a book that you don't know what happened in the 16 chapters before, nor do you know what kind of book you're in, nor do you know where the book is supposed to land you in the end. It's very disorienting. No wonder we have a hard time coming to mass or committing to our faith because we don't really know the bigger story that the scriptures tell us that we are a part of. We don't know the story. 
I don't think this is a newsflash to anyone, but we're in a time of great crisis. Those that are really suffering from this hopelessness, and we could call them deaths by hopelessness, those who have died from alcohol, alcoholism, those who have died from a drug overdose, those who have died from suicide are on an exponential rise, especially among the young, especially among teenagers. Never have we seen statistics like we are seeing today. And I can't help but wonder how many of these young people would be struggling with this sense of hopelessness if they knew their story and if they knew the bigger story that their life was a part of. How many of them give up trying because they don't believe that their life has any purpose? It's not really going anywhere. Whose responsibility is it that they are floating around without a sense of purpose? Whose fault is that? It's us, the adults who should know our stories and who should know the bigger story, but we don't. And because we don't know our story, we're not living as though we're part of God's story. And because we're not passing it on to them, you throw in a pandemic, you throw in screens, you throw in social media, you throw in all of the things that are being thrown at our young people that have never been thrown at anyone ever. No wonder they're struggling with anxiety and depression. No wonder. So for the next four weeks, we have the opportunity to come to know our story a little bit better. Can you imagine if we were able to readily tell not only our story and how God has worked in it? I was this way, and then I encountered God, and now I'm this way. I'm not there. I haven't reached perfection yet, but I'm better now than I was then. What if we could tell that story, and what if we could tell that story in the context of what God is doing? Oh, it would be so amazing. The first part of the proclamation is coming to know how things are, or why things are in the first place. The second part that you'll hear, God willing, next weekend is, well, if God created things so good, why are things so messed up? Why is my life such a mess? The third step is, well, our world is a mess. I'm a mess. What is God going to do about it? Or what has he done about it? And then the fourth and final step is, once I understand what he is doing and what he has done, how will I respond? This is the proclamation of the good news. But I don't think we're yet ready to fill in the blanks. So I'd like to just start at the beginning of the story. Why do we exist as opposed to not existing? Why does the universe exist as opposed to not existing? The very simple reason is God wanted it to. He didn't have to create, but he chose to. Even if we ascribe to the Big Bang, which you're allowed to do as Christians, you would still say if the universe began, began at a certain point, which it seems like it did, there still had to be something there that was there before that single point. Something that exists out of time and space or someone that exists out of time and space. And if he clicked that first domino and turned it into something, there seems to have been a reason for the way it developed the way it did. The way that it did is so astronomically impossible that the universe developed as it did, and then even more impossible 
was it possible for life to exist on this planet? And not just low life forms, but life forms that would develop and become increasingly complex. God created the universe, he, not because he was lonely. God is a community of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the essence of love. He lacks nothing, but he loves so much that he wanted, created something that could share in the love that exists in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love so much, I want to create something that can share in my love. And so he created all things. If you want to say it started with the bang, bang, you're welcome to do that. But at a certain point in his creation, he chose to intervene and he chose to instill a soul, the ability to reason and to choose within human beings. You are, you are also allowed to believe in evolution as long as you believe that God intervened as this increasingly complex organism was instilled directly by God a soul was instilled directly into them. And that first parent of ours is Adam and his wife Eve. God created all of this to be good. They walked together in total harmony with creation and with God. They were friends with God. There was no illness. There was no death. There was no suffering. This was God's plan. Suffering, death were not part of the plan. And we'll talk about next week why those came into being. But the key is to know God created us from love for love. He created us because he simply wanted us. He chose us and we are no accident. You think about the absolute impossibility of our existence, starting with the Big Bang, the gradual expansion of time and space and all of the galaxies, and then one planet that is conducive for life, these lower life forms developing into more complex ones, God's intervention, creating man. It is so impossible that we exist. Even as recently as 100 years ago, imagine your, your grandfather or great-grandfather is in World War II. He steps one inch to the left and he's hit by a bullet. But because he wasn't one inch to the left, he wasn't hit. He survives World War I, who, and then he goes back and begets his children, who begets their children, and here we are. One inch. One inch. Every person that is here, every person that exists in the world is not by accident and not by chance. Even if you are a surprise to your parents, like I was, You weren't a surprise to God. You weren't a surprise to God. He chose you and he appointed you for this time and this place. You have a mission. You have a purpose. You were created from love for love. And the more we enter into God who is love, the more we enter into who we truly are and what we're called to be and who we are called to become. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine His brother was in Istanbul. On November 13th, there was an explosion. And Istanbul had been relatively at peace, no major violence in a few years. His brother was in Istanbul. He was running through the city. He was listening to the rosary, interestingly enough. And as sometimes happens to runners, you are far from your destination and you have to go to the bathroom. 
right? Isn't that just the worst? Well, he's passing through the city. So there are technically public restrooms, these water closets. He's passing by one of them. He's like, you know what? I'd rather hold it than go into that because it is going to be ugly in there, right? And so he's passing by. He's listening to his rosary. He gets a minute past it. And then he hears an audible voice in his mind that says, turn around and go into the water closet now. Turn around and go back now. He's like, what in the world is going on? He attributes that voice to St. Therese of Lisieux, who is a patroness of his. He goes back into the water closet. He's using the bathroom. Boom! Huge explosion that killed eight people and wounded dozens of others. But he is completely intact. Had he been running where he was running, he would have been right in the path of that bomb. This happened two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Why didn't he die? Because God's not done with him here yet. Why are you here right now? He's not done with you yet. You still have a mission. You still have a purpose. And he wants to reveal it to you. First and foremost, he wants to draw close to you. And he wants you to know that you're not alone. You are known and loved and understood and chosen for this time in this place. This is a hard time, and it's an increasingly hard time to be Christian, but it's a great time to be Christian. It's a hard time to be Christian, but it's a great time to be Christian because God wants his world back. God wants you back, and he's going to do anything, even to laying his life down on a cross to bring us back. He will spare nothing to draw us back to himself. He wants his world back. We live in enemy-occupied territory, and we're naive if we think otherwise. We are surrounded by darkness and evil. And Jesus has said, enough. I'm ready to reclaim what is mine. When we were baptized, we were claimed as his. And many of us have forfeited what we were given by our baptism, by choosing to align ourselves with our enemy who occupies this territory, who is Satan himself. Jesus has come to defeat Satan. He already has. But he has come to reclaim the captives of Satan. We have made ourselves. As we approach this altar and as we are about to witness God make himself present on this altar, it is unfathomable. I think it would be helpful for us to just renounce some lies that are from the enemy that get us to fall into this place of hopelessness. And I want us to claim some truth that we are chosen and loved and on purpose. So if you would, repeat after me. Jesus, I renounce the lie that my life is an accident. Jesus, I renounce the lie that my life is an accident. Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm not loved. Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm not loved. Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm a burden. Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm a burden. Jesus, I embrace the truth. Jesus, I embrace the truth that you have chosen me, that you have chosen me. You have loved me into existence. You have loved me into existence and you have made me for love and you have made me for love. I embrace the truth. My life is a gift. I embrace the truth that my life is a gift to everyone around me, to everyone around me. Jesus, I recommit myself to you. 
Jesus, I recommit my life to you. I give you permission to save me. I give you permission to save me. I give you permission to love me. I give you permission to love me. Amen. Jesus, I thank you and I praise you. You have been so good to us. You loved us into existence, not because we earned it, but because you chose us and appointed us for a mission. I ask you, Jesus, to lift off of our minds and hearts any influence, lies, accusations, insinuations of the evil one. I ask you, Jesus, to send those lies back down to hell. I ask you, Jesus, to fill our hearts with the truth of who we are, your beloved sons and daughters that you paid the price for, you poured out your blood for. Jesus, we give you permission to be our Savior. Jesus, cleanse our hearts so that we can receive you anew in this Eucharist. Jesus, infuse into our hearts a new spirit of love, a new spirit of hope in the midst of our hopelessness. Jesus, please save us. Jesus, we trust in you. Jesus, thank you for the gift of our lives. Amen.